Welcome to Sober Conversations, and thank you for joining us today. Sober Conversations is the podcast that gets to the heart of addiction recovery by examining all the angles of the sober lifestyle and just what it means to be alive, healthy, and thriving. My name is Dr. Herbie Bell, and today's episode number 29 is a conversation with father, son, blogger, and exemplary recovery advocate, Dean Dauphiné. Dean's blog, My Life as 3D, three-dimensional musings from the father of an addict, was just named as one of the top 55 recovery blogs anywhere. Congratulations, Dean. By the way, Dean's initials are DDD, and hence the play on words with his 3D. That's clever, Dean. Dean's transparency comes through as he writes, quote, Me? As the father of a recovering son, I try to do the best I can under the circumstances, living in the moment and working on my own recovery, one day at a time, sometimes one hour at a time. This blog helps. I hope it might help you too. Let's find out what else this thoughtful dad has to say right now. Dean Dauphiné, you are on Sober Conversations, and I understand it's about 400 degrees below zero where you are. How are you, man? You warm enough? I'm good, Herbie. It's not quite that cold, but it is cold. It's been a cold winter. It's been a long winter, and I'm just looking forward to springtime. It's about eight degrees here today, I think. Whew. Well, when I uh, showed up in uh, Davenport, Iowa in 1978, Jan- January 1st or 2nd, it was it was 60 below zero, and coming from San Diego, I thought it was the end of the world. <laughs> I can understand that. <laughs> it was nuts. Hey, you are so great to join us today as uh, a man, as a father of a recovering man, and as you describe yourself, a recovering man yourself. I just think it's so cool that you want to have a sober conversation with us. I appreciate you having me on. Well, I'm going to start with something that I found on some of your correspondence. And uh, in your email signature, you've got a quote from a guy named Maxwell Maltz, whoever that was, but I like the quote. It says, the most delightful surprise in life is to suddenly recognize your own worth. And it's just so apropos for the recovery community. Can you can you riff on that? Yeah, you know, I came across that quote. Um, I'm a big inspirational quote guy, and I read a lot of stuff. And I came across that quote, and it just spoke to me because uh, on really on two different levels. Number one, on on the level of someone like my son who has gone through a difficult few years of his life and, you know, oftentimes feeling worthless and, and, you know, like he didn't fit into society. Um, and now that he's, you know, in recovery, I can see him starting to mature and starting to recognize the fact that he, he does have, you know, worth in this world. And, I think he's kind of waking up to that surprise and, you know, discovering himself that, Hey, I, I do mean something. Um, the other, the other level is for me myself. Um, I will admit having gone through this, uh, addiction and depression, uh, episode with my son over the last several years. Um, as a parent, you start to question your, your worth, um, there's a lot of guilt associated with um, being the parent of an addict. Um, 
or even being the parent of a depressed child, uh, you know, you you hear that it's you know hereditary and it's in the genes and or even something though, I did right right, and even though you know that you had no control over that, it's only natural I think as a parent to feel some guilt. So as I work on my recovery, um, at the same time my son is working on his because parents of addicts also need recovery. Um, I have discovered, you know, that my, my self-worth exists and I don't have to feel guilty and I don't have to feel like I've done something wrong, but you know, that, that I'm, I now have a feeling of self-worth that, that makes me feel better about myself every day. Well, beautiful, and I can I can see it in your blog and read it and feel it in your blog. And so I want to go off on that just a little bit. And I was very attracted to you because you're the father of a recovering guy like I am, and my dad um, um, was the father of a recovering guy like I am, but my dad died of the disease. So it really touches my heart to have this conversation. And in our introductory conversation, you generously revealed that you and your wife as parents of a recovering son decided to stop drinking. I get chills up and down my spine when I hear people do that. And, you know, I consider, we say it takes a family, a systemic uh, family disease, and you guys are doing just that. Okay, we'll do that. So tell me about that decision and, and what uh, you've learned about, okay, we'll stop drinking. Well, my, my son was in his second rehab facility, and um, he was in there for heroin use. And we had a family therapist assigned to us. And I think it was in the second meeting we had with the family therapist. And, and she laid a, laid a heavy sentence on us. <laughs> the sentence was, be the change you want to see in your son. Nice. And she, she told us that it was kind of hypocritical for us to tell our son to stop self-medicating himself to feel better or feel normal while at the same time, you know, we come home from work and kick back with, you know, a glass of wine or a cocktail or a beer. Um, and that made total sense to me. I had never thought of it before, but it made total sense to me. So my wife and I decided that day that, that we would quit drinking and, you know, it's, it's an act of solidarity, if you will. Um, it's been five or love. Uh, yeah. Love too. Um, it's been five plus years now, uh, about five and a half years. Um, I don't really miss it. There are times when we go to parties or go to concerts or places where people are drinking and it's, you know, sometimes we feel a little bit different, not really uncomfortable, just different, but I don't miss it. And, I think it's made a huge improvement in our lives and it sets a good example for not only my son in recovery, but my younger son who is six years younger than my, my older son. Um, he is very, my younger son is now very anti-drug and alcohol. And I think that not having the drinking in the house um, is a contributing factor to that. Well, I, you know, it, it's just something that I like to talk about so much because it's it it really is just such an act of solidarity, and I'm not a thumper and uh, who says people need to stop uh, relaxing in whatever practices they have. 
But the idea is that in recovery, we discover that, oh, indeed, there are lots and lots of ways to find natural highs and to find the ecstasy of existence and to have you know, parents that say, hey, I want to see what that journey is like with you. So I always wonder what it's like for knucklehead normies, I'm just kidding you, that that don't have the bug. Do you once in a while say, "Uh, I'll just have a little sip of champagne? Or is it just something you say, no, I don't do that anymore? It's it's just a conscious decision to not do it anymore. Um, You know, my dad was an alcoholic my whole life, and it really affected our relationship. Um, I'll be perfectly honest with you, during my son's uh, addiction, there were times when I found myself drinking more than I thought I should be. And my wife pointed it out to me a couple of times, and I kind of brushed it off. But I did come to a point where I felt that, um, you know, I was drinking to kind of ease myself of my son's issues in my mind. And that family therapy session really hit home with me. And and that's when I just made the decision. It's, it it was something I just felt like as a parent, I, I can do this. This is the least I can do to help my son. Well, I'm standing up out here on the West coast, giving you, uh, giving you a salute. So, so thank you for that. No problem. I want to say that recovery coach, Kathy, Tonbaugh, who is just such a neat person uh, out here in my circle, uh, brought your informative and relatable, and I'll call it down-to-earth web presence. And it turns out it's one of the top 55 recovery blogs in um, existence in the universe. (laughs) Kathy brought it to my attention, and it's called My Life as 3D, and then uh, subtitled 3D-Dimensional Musings from the Father of an Addict. So I really was attracted to that. And then I saw this heartfelt image of a young boy walking on the water's edge. And it just, you know, that's us, that's our sons. And so share some of uh, how that uh, got up to speed and and how it has become so, uh, you know, successful in helping people. Well, my son, his first issue was depression at the age of 15. And he was on antidepressants and they weren't working. And the doctors were weaning him off of one antidepressant and trying to get him onto another one. And during that process, uh, he had a, a manic episode and actually overdosed on antidepressants and aspirin. Um, one Ouch. night, yeah, one night my wife, you know, we were, we were at the point where we were kind of sleeping in the hallways and, and checking in on him all the time. And, uh, one night my wife woke me up at one thirty in the morning and said, we have to go to the hospital. And I said, why? And she said, well, I couldn't find um, our son. Uh, I'm not going to use his name because I, even though I'm very transparent, I, I like to protect him just in case he doesn't want his name out there. So Very thoughtful uh, of you. Yeah. Um, so she couldn't find him and eventually went up in the attic and found him up there uh, sitting in the attic crying and um, he told her what he had done and, and we took him to the ER and they pumped his stomach and um, thankfully everything turned out all right. Um, it was about that time that I I just started having all kinds of emotions and thoughts running through my head and I started keeping a journal, um, an electronic journal 
you know, a giant Word document that ended up being hundreds and hundreds of pages, mm-hmm. uh, I would I would sit down and and just stream of consciousness type my thoughts and feelings and um, it got to the point where I felt like I was sharing with only myself and I thought that a lot of what I was saying may be able to help other people who were going through a similar thing and at that point I, I started messing around with blogs I started a, a Tumblr blog that went nowhere. I just created the account and kind of froze and didn't do anything with it. And then on, uh, I guess it was the day after my son's 19th birthday in December of 2008, uh, I went over to Blogger and I I created a blog. And I think if you go back and read the first post, it says something like, I don't know if this will keep going or not but you know here it is and I didn't know what to name the blog I really you know I didn't I wanted a catchy name and then you know there were so many blogs out there the you know father of an addict and I just went with something kind of general my my initials are DDD and a lot of times people refer to me as 3D nice I like that and I just went with you know the three-dimensional title and gave it the subtitle later um, after my son got into addiction when it when it became you know a full full time quote unquote blog about my experiences well the experiences are just uh, so as I say down to earth and raw one of your recent ones talked about hey my son's getting his wisdom teeth out what about that what about uh, opiate medication that usually goes along with that and what a, what a great thing to throw out there or hey uh i i have no idea where i where i am right now who can't identify with those kinds of things being uh you know the the dad and uh, just a man in this culture in general so thank you for this great work that you're doing and you are on fire with desire it seems to me with lots of different things you're wearing a lot of different hats and i want to ask you about this kind of exciting thing that's coming up for you you are soon to be lead advocate for something called Heroes in Recovery. Will you tell us about that? Sure. It's uh, Heroes in Recovery is an organization that is actually part of a a company called Foundations Recovery Network, and they own a handful of in residence uh, treatment centers around the country. One of which is one my son attended uh, for about 40 days a couple few years ago and the heroes in recovery organization is it's they describe it as a movement ignited by um, their foundations recovery network and the widespread community of those who are in recovery from addiction and co-occurring disorders you know which is a big thing these days Um, there's their mission is to eliminate the the stigma that keeps people with addiction and mental health issues from seeking help. And the way they do that is they they have people share stories of recovery on their website. Um, they have activities in communities like 5K races to, wear, to raise awareness of addiction. And um, they're just basically trying to empower people to, to get involved and give back and, and live healthy, active lives. And I'm actually – 
one of six lead advocates. They have five or six each year. And I applied to be one this year and, and thankfully was, was, was accepted. So. Well, uh, right on to that. I'm going to interview Gary Mendel next week of Shatter, uh, shatterproof.org who, you know, that that's the thrust in our community now to get on the other side of this shame, guilt, fear, stigma. And the, the thing is, is that, uh, as you will probably agree, going into um, learning about addiction and addiction recovery and treatment, we just don't know. And you mentioned your dad being an alcoholic earlier. I want to ask you what you've learned so far about the intergenerational aspect of addiction and recovery and how has addiction showed up in your family uh, through the generations? Do you see some patterns and some uh, connecting the dots? Yeah, I definitely do. Um, there is addiction, uh, alcoholism on both sides of my family. Uh, my mother's uh, side of the family, you know, father, aunts, uncles, um, my father, his father. Uh, I haven't gone back too far. Um, I'm not a genealogist. I don't have a family tree, but I know that I've heard from my mom's cousins uh, about alcoholism in her family. Um, I have witnessed my, you know, my dad's alcoholism was, uh, I mean, that was up and my dad died just about a year ago. And my whole life basically was spent resenting his alcoholism mm. uh, from, from the earliest time I can remember. Um, I can, I can recall him, you know, being, being drunk at home. Uh, he was also a workaholic. He, he owned his own business. He would go, go to work and take, you know, two hour lunches at the bar and, uh, come home drunk. And he wasn't a violent alcoholic, you know, from a physical standpoint, he, he did verbally abuse us, uh, from time to time. You know, I remember driving with him after we had gone out to dinner and, and wondering if we were going to make it home alive uh, because of his driving. You know, he had multiple DUIs and it was it was traumatic for me as as a child growing up. And I held it against him for a long time, more than 40 years. And thankfully, just before he died, I would say four or five months before he died, um, I was able to let go of that and forgive him. And we actually kind of reconnected and our relationship improved for the last four or five months of his life. And, and I'm really grateful that that happened because for a long time I, I had wondered to myself and even my therapist had, had talked to me about you know what what's going to happen if your dad dies and you have this you know it was it was hatred i was you know it was hatred towards my dad for for having done this to my my childhood and my life and you know i was asked you know what's going to happen if he dies and you don't you know fix this i really didn't feel it was my thing to fix but there comes a time where you just have to man up, if you will, and, and be the one that reaches out. And I'm glad that I did that. 
Well, I'm so proud to, uh, you know, to be talking to you right now because I think that is the work and speaks to this, you walking the talk with working with your son by taking great care of yourself, the way that you and your wife are doing that. I mean, what, what person can identify with what you're talking about when alcoholism is in the family? My colleague, Lisa Fredrickson, and her seminal uh, work body of work called Secondhand Drinking, you know, another person's drinking can actually change my neurophysiology. It's just amazing, and you've just beautifully um, articulated that. So there are so many of us uh, out here, moms and dads, uh, uh, in a similar position. What are your thoughts why addiction is so prevalent in our culture, and what's what's this stigma? Uh, you've talked about it a little bit, but do you have any other thoughts around that? Well, I think the, the prevalence of addiction in our culture today has a lot to do with um, the current generation of people just being under so much more pressure than, than people were, um, you know, in our time, you know, back in the day, not that addiction didn't, uh, occur, you know, in, in the olden days, if you will, but I think it was mostly alcoholism, you know, with, with my father and, you know, his father and, and earlier generations. And then, you know, we get into the drug, the drug age with the marijuana and, LSD and um, I think a lot more people were were just experimenting with drugs um, you know several years ago I, I think today kids especially are are under so much pressure to you know conform and be a part of you know a certain culture that um, like my son for example, started using drugs because he was depressed and he wanted to feel normal. You know, that's, that's a scary thought when, when kids have to resort to taking illegal drugs or legal drugs that were obtained illegally just to feel normal. Yeah. And, you know, he would, he would cry. Mm -hmm. He would, he would sit on our, our steps and, and cry to me and my wife and say, you know, why can't I just feel normal? And, you know, I think, I think that's a lot, there's a lot of pressure in society today, you know, the whole Facebook and Twitter. And I think the, I think the pressure, you know, in today's society with Facebook and Twitter and, you know, online bullying and people, kids being able to tell people certain things that they would never say to their face, you know, over electronic devices. I think that just creates a a really tough environment for kids to grow up in. I know I would never in a million years want to be a teenager these days. Um, it just seems like there is so much coming at you from so many different directions that, um, you know, I can, I can see why a lot of kids choose to self-medicate and that's, it's a terrible thing. But, you know, sometimes I look at society and I think, yeah, I, I understand why people feel the need to escape. I, I uh, absolutely agree with you, and uh, I'm thinking of uh, Gabor Mate that I like to talk about, um, who, who talks about this, you know, sort of the expression is, it's the culture, stupid, uh, that is producing uh, this syndrome, this phenomenon, and we really have to look at some of these grassroots things, and I think we're beginning to do that, to get behind the stigma 
you know, you've been, you mentioned the depression and you've been so transparent uh, about yourself and your son and your family. Um, tell me, uh, as it relates to um, dual diagnosis, so to speak, how is the depression and anxiety piece doing uh, overall in the family as it relates to you getting under the hood a little bit and finding out what may, what may be causing some of it? Yeah, the depression in, in my family is is gotten a lot better. Uh, my son has definitely made huge strides, um, finally found a medication that seems to work for him. Um, he, you know, sees medical professionals about it and definitely has improved. I, I think he's the happiest he's been in eight or nine years. He has a, a girlfriend that he, you know, just adores and who adores him and is, has a job that he's working. And, you know, it's funny people, people see him and remark to me how different he looks. And one of the things that they mention is the fact that he smiles. Nice. He, did, he didn't used to smile. I mean, there were, there yeah. were seven or eight years when he wouldn't smile even if you were taking pictures of him and said, smile, you know, he would not smile. Now, every time you see him, he's smiling. And every time you take a picture of him, he, he, you know, you don't even have to tell him to smile. Um, my depression, I, I fully acknowledge that I suffer from depression. My depression is under control. I finally found a medication that works for me. Uh, I have a younger son who suffers from depression. His depression's under control. Um, so things are good in my family. My wife, my wife has never suffered from depression, so she's she's the oddball in the family, um, if if that makes any sense at all. I think actually the three of us are oddballs, and she's not. But <laughs> things things are good with our family right now. Boys against the girls. No, it sounds great, and uh, I'm smiling over here um, as a recovery and wellness coach. I'm always interested in how people are addressing diet and exercise, especially when it comes to these dual diagnosis things, you know, what's causing what and what is it that we might be eating or not doing in the way of producing our own uh, dopamine and serotonin and all of the goodies uh, in our recovery lifestyle. So what can you guys say about uh, that in, in your family? What are you doing around diet and exercise? Well, I can't speak towards, uh, towards my older son's diet and exercise because he doesn't live with us. Um, but I know that in our recovery, my wife and I have uh, definitely changed how we eat and what we eat. Um, I was a huge Diet Coke addict, if you will, for mm. for years and years and years. And I'm talking probably 20, 20 years. I would drink that stuff like it was water and then some. Um, I ended up in the hospital about... Uh, <laughs> That's not funny, Herbie. No. <laughs> I ended up in the hospital about three and a half years ago for uh, a bout of diverticulitis. And, um, if Ouch you don't, again, huh? Yeah, and for people who don't know what that is, I won't, I won't go into the details. You can Google that, as they say. Um, but I was in the hospital for three days, and I did not have any Diet Coke during that time. I was on a liquid diet, and I thought to myself, now might be a good time to think about giving up this crap, which it is, the uh, the chemicals and the artificial sweeteners. And uh, so I just decided to quit that. And I seem to have this crazy knack of quitting things cold turkey. 
and you know, I just I quit, and I haven't had uh, diet soda in almost four years. I found that when I quit that, um, I started feeling better. I started drinking a lot of water, which I had never done before. My wife had always told me, drink a lot of water. It's good for you. I never listened to it. Um, but I substituted water for Diet Coke, and pounds just started dropping off of me. I lost 50 pounds um, over the course of about a year and a half. Um, I've gained a little bit of it back, but um, you know, I felt just really good about myself. And um, we bought new bikes, my wife and I. We we go on bike rides when it's not eight degrees outside and <laughs> we, we go for walks sometimes when it is eight degrees outside. My wife is a huge advocate of walking. She walks just about everywhere. Um, I, I joke to people, I can say my wife, you know, tells me she's, she's going up to the store to get something and an hour later she comes back and I'll say, where were you? And she says, well, I walked. She's <laughs> a hunter gatherer. man. <laughs> yeah, she is. So, you know, the exercise definitely helps you feel better. It gets the, the dopamine going in your body and those endorphins kick in and, and it makes you happier. And until you actually try it, it sounds like hogwash to a lot of people, but I can attest to you that it's not. It works. And I'm really glad that I, that I chose to, you know, go that route. So th uh, grateful for you to say that out loud. The not diet Coke diet. I love it. And I can hear my uh, bro in the know, uh, Clark Danger, saying that, you know, below the neck, we're 70% water, and above the neck, we're 70% water. What don't we get about replenishing <laughs> our bodies with clean, pure water? So right on to that. Now, let's talk about the emotional domain. And you write so eloquently about dealing with your own feelings. And in this culture that doesn't teach us much about developing emotional intelligence, won't you agree, growing up? What 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 have you learned about managing your own feelings in uh, this complex uh, world and, and going through recovery as a family? Well, I will tell you, especially growing up as a male, you know, our society is not so much today, but when I was growing up, you know, to be a man was, you know, to not cry, not show emotions, not, not let your feelings be known. Um, but I'm a I'm a very emotional person and when I started this blog I I have to admit I had a little bit of hesitation about being so open but I just decided that that's who I am that's how I'm going to approach it and if people don't want to read it or think I'm nuts for you know doing what I'm doing then so be it but uh I was going to be totally transparent in my blog or I wasn't going to do the blog because I, I wasn't I wasn't setting out to, you know, paint paint a false picture of what was going on. I wasn't gonna uh bullshit my readers, if I can say bullshit in a podcast. Um I just wanted to be totally transparent, um, wear my feelings on my sleeve and tell people what it was like and what it is like. Um, I mean, you read some of my blog posts and I talk about being at work and actually reserving reserving conference room time in my office so that I could go in and cry. <laughs> and I assume that's your dog barking. <laughs> he always participates. Tori, the spirit guide. 
<laughs> it's well, the male person. Yeah, it used so, to be the male man. Yeah, <laughs> so I mean, think about that. I would I would be in my office and go into our conference room reservation system and reserve a conference room for a half hour so I could go in there and cry. Fantastic. Now, Talk about so, dopamine without the dope. <laughs> yeah. And you know, that's something that a lot of people wouldn't admit, I think, to a lot of other people, you know, to, to people they don't know, to the, you know, the blogosphere. But I have no problem sharing that because, you know, I for one feel that, you know, real men do cry. I think crying is is a great thing that helps cleanse your soul. Uh, even with things going well these days, I find myself at times crying. And a lot of times it's tears of joy, just, you know, just feeling what I'm feeling. And it gets so emotionally intense that I just have to, I have to sit and cry. And, you know, emotions um, are, they're tricky. You know, they come and they go. And even, even in recovery and even with my son in recovery, you know, I, I have emotions. I worry about my son from time to time, not like I used to, um, but, you know, just, for example, the wisdom teeth incident, which was just a couple of days ago, you know, as soon as I heard my son was having his wisdom teeth pulled, you know, my, my first thought went to, uh Oh, you know, pain relievers. And, you know, as my child, I'm probably always going to wonder things like that. Um, even though it's his life and it's his decisions, um, that just, that stuff pops into my head and, you know, it's still an emotional roller coaster, although, there are many more flat sections of that roller coaster than there are hills these days. Um, but, you know, I, I also find that managing my emotions as a sober individual is a lot easier. I, you know, used to feel certain things and I would, I would relieve it with, um, you know, a shot of whiskey or, or a beer or a glass of wine. And, and that was the way I dealt with my emotions. I, I, I numbed myself and since I've been sober, I've had to learn to deal with those emotions as they actually are with, with, without the benefit of, you know, a numbing agent or escaping, um, you know, with a, with a drink or, well, I've never did any other drugs. So, you know, without escaping with a drink, I find it, challenging at times but it's also refreshing because i feel like i'm living life and experiencing life and not trying to cover it up well i you know so identify with this life all the platitudes in the in the recovery community life on life's terms and you know we feel better when we stop when we put the cork on the jug so to speak we feel everything better and you're just saying it so clearly that not anesthetizing ourselves on a daily basis brings these gifts that we couldn't ordinarily know and you know a lot of times we go to humor we go to retail therapy we go to lots of other places to anesthetize ourselves so it's really great to uh to find out what that's what that's like uh, because nobody's getting out alive and we might as well uh, feel it while we're here. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it was, you look back at it and, and I kind of, I shake my head and I wonder, you know, how screwed up was it that I was, I was trying to mask my feelings um, with alcohol, you know, my feelings about my son's addiction to drugs 
I'm trying to mask them with alcohol. And that's just a cycle that just doesn't make any sense at all. No, it doesn't. Uh, and it's one of those things, right, that you don't know uh, uh, until you go. And, and you have really gone with this in such a beautiful, healing, loving, deeply empathetic way, Dean. I want you to tell us how we can most uh, easily hook up with with you and your um, the work that you're doing on the web. Well, I guess the easiest way to hook up with me would be to visit my blog. Um, you know, to be honest with you, I don't even uh, know the address of my blog off the top of my head. But let me – I'll pull it up real quick here. Um, I'm also on uh, Twitter. At, my name at, on Twitter is at uh, DinoCat, D-E-A-N-O-K-A-T, which nice. is a conglomeration of my name and my wife's name. Um, my blog address is my life as 3 d the numeral 3, dot blogspot.com um, feel free to go and visit and read and uh, subscribe by email I also have a, a little box there where you can send me an email directly through my blog and I will answer it you know I answer everybody that emails me um, my goal right now my passion is in life is helping other people who are going through similar situations i uh lost my job of uh, almost 24 years in the publishing industry right before christmas and i am on a mission to somehow find a way to um make a huge difference in eliminating stigma and helping people and Ideally, I'd love to, you know, do a 180 and switch careers and get involved in, in helping people. I don't know if that's going to be possible, but um, right now, uh, today, that's that's what I want to do. And that's the other thing, you know. One other thing I want to stress about recovery, um, the whole one day at a time thing that you hear so often in AA, um, is so true. I. I used to be a worrier. I used to worry about, you know, what happened a year ago or six months ago. I used to be scared to death about what might happen uh, next week with my son or a month from now or what's going to happen when, when, you know, he gets to this point in his life. And I finally just came to the realization that living in the moment is the way to go. Just worry about today and and with my son's sobriety, I, I have become such an advocate of living in the moment and just appreciating every day for what it is because, you know, none of, none of us really know if we're going to be here tomorrow. So, you know, I, it makes no sense to worry about it. Um, you know, live in the moment and enjoy your life. And, and I think if you do that, you find your, yourself being much happier. What a great way to end our conversation. And Dean, Daphne, you are an exemplary dad and a world-class human being. I can't thank you enough for being here, sharing your life with us, and thank you very much. I appreciate you having me on, Herbie. It's been a pleasure. And thanks to you for doing what you're doing to, to help break the stigma and educate people. That's a great thing. Thank you, sir, and I couldn't have done it without you. Okay. Well, we're Bye-bye. a team. Bye. Right on. 
Thanks again, Dean Dauphiné. Great French name spelled D-A-U-P-H-I-N-A-I-S. And listeners, check out Dean's blog at mylifeas3d.blogspot.com. That's mylifeas3d.blogspot.com. Or you can find his Twitter feed at twitter.com slash dinocat, D-E-A-N-O-K-A-T. Dean, thank you for taking care of yourself and your family in a most admirable way. As ever, I'm Dr. Herbie Bell, and you can find me on the web at recoveryhealthcare.me. That's .me or facebook.com slash recoveryhealth. Thank you for listening. And do us a favor by going to iTunes and giving a rating and a review because all great beginnings start with a conversation. Here's to the next time. And in the meantime, long-term recovery equals long-term wellness. Stay well.